0: Good morning, friends. I bring you uh, greetings from God's people in Brooklyn. Uh, I've been here, my wife and I, our family have been coming for almost eight years, I think, uh, at various times in the year. So I sometimes joke that I'm like your long distance assistant pastor. Um, but this time, actually, I'm really excited to be here. We're actually going to be here for the next three weeks. Um, so we've arranged, uh, I'm sorry if that disappoints you. <laughs> but if you're, if you're visiting, um, you should know that the, the, uh, the pastor of this church is on vacation and, and doing some other things with his family in St. Louis, actually where we were all in Samaria together and friends. Um, and we're taking our vacation out here in their, in their house. And, uh, and in, in, in return for preaching three weeks in a row. So, uh, I'm excited because it allows me to actually do a little bit of a, of a mini-series, if you will. Um, instead of just kind of doing those one off sermons, we're actually going to dig in for the next few weeks on the same theme. Uh, and that theme is, uh, and, and the Brooklyn churches are doing this as well, uh, it's simply this. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at what uh, it means to think of Jesus as the bread of life. Uh, what does it mean that we are hungering beings, that we hunger for things in this world? Uh, And that God promises to satisfy our hungers uh, in and through himself. That's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks. And we're going to really try to dig in. So it gives me time to to metaphorically stretch my legs over the next few weeks. Um, And let me begin just by reading to you this text. It's in page 891 of your uh, pew Bibles or there in the the text as well. I'll read it to us from John chapter 6. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this morning. We thank you for this printed word and now this preached word. You promise uh, that by your work in the world uh, that you will continue to speak to us through this word because it is actually a record, a true and accurate uh, record of your living word, Jesus himself. And so I pray that you would speak to us of your son. Help us to see Jesus Help us to believe in him for the first time or for the thousandth time. Help us to give ourselves to him again this morning. Help us to see you in our own hearts more clearly through this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we got out here late Friday night, and one of the first things I do when we come out here uh, is, especially, we've only been coming in the summer for a, a few years. We used to come in January, uh, so it's been more fun to come in August uh, the last few. And so one of the first things I do is I start daydreaming about all the stuff that we're going to eat, because I'm thinking, you know, you can get tons of good food in Brooklyn, but, uh, out here you have all the farms. And one of our favorite things is to stop at the farmer's market and cook. And I grill, I just like, I just want to get fresh stuff and grill every single night. And so immediately when I start thinking about coming out here for vacation, I start to salivate. And I start to get hungry. I really am excited about eating. Uh, And you you probably like that, too. Whether you live here year-round or you're just here on the weekends or whatever, here for the summer, uh, you're thinking often about summer is this time where you get the lobster rolls or you get the hot dogs out and all this stuff, right? Uh, Recently, I was uh, reminded of how much summer is about eating when I was uh, watching the Fourth of July tradition that they have uh, at Nathan's uh, Coney Island. You guys know about this? They have the hot dog eating contest. This thing is insane. They do this year after year after year, and the same guy, Joey Chestnut, keeps winning. He won again this year by eating, I don't remember how many, uh, 10 minutes. They have 10 minutes to eat as many hot dogs as you possibly can. This is like the big summer 4th of July thing, right? So he ate this year 61 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Totally insane. Now, here's one thing I can tell you for certain. There is no way he was hungry For sixty-one hot dogs, right? So, immediately you start to think, why would someone eat that many hot dogs that fast? And you realize immediately that when we start talking about hunger, we we can we can talk about our actual hungers, like I'm actually hungry for lunch pretty soon, or you can realize that hunger is a metaphor. It's it 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 can be more than just what you think it is. So, for example, Joey Chestnut is not hungry for sixty-one hot dogs. What is he hungry for? I don't know. We'd have to ask him. It could be fame. It could be the cash prize. It could be his reputation, you know. Uh, it could be, you know, just to go down in the Guinness Book of uh, Dopey Records or something. I don't know. But he's hungry for something deeper than what he's actually eating. And this is this gets at one of the interesting things when we start talking for the next few weeks about desire, is that desire the desires we have in the world are, are, are these types of hungers. And, and they're not always even obvious to us what they are, what they're for. They are not. They present themselves sometimes as these things we want, but we, we may not realize that there's something deeper there, that we're hungry for something more. And that's what I want to talk about. For the next few weeks, we actually want to talk about your individual hearts. As individuals, whether you're a Christian or not, the fact that you were made with these hungers for things in the world. And what I want us to just realize as we unpack this, why we're going to spend time doing this, is that your heart is just as deep And complex and as mysterious as is the whole cosmos. We've begun to understand and explore the cosmos, but even there's so much more that we can ever get to. Your heart is just as deep as infinite. God has made it to be this infinitely mysterious place that you have barely begun to explore, to adventure into, to understand. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deep and mysterious. Who can figure it out? Right? It's complicated. And so we want to talk about, we want to understand a little better, that we might have it be a more settled landscape, if you will, to explore it. And what I want us to see this morning is simply that we are deeply desiring people. You understand this, how hungry you actually are. Think about it. Think about your deepest longings, your greatest hungers. And think about the way that they can get a little bit out of control sometimes. Think about the things that drive you, that motivate you. What is it that gives you hope in the world? What is that desire that you're betting your life on? That thing that, if you think it's fulfilled, everything will be better, everything will work out. That specific thing that right now is unfulfilled and you feel like it has the power to undo you. Those desires. And in this room, you have to understand that there is represented just a vast array, like a starry sky's worth of different kinds of desires. I live in New York City uh, or out here, you know, in a culture very much influenced uh, all of us together. Long Island here, the whole thing influenced by a place like New York or a culture like this. It's a culture that celebrates chasing your desires, right? Here's your desires, advertisements, everything. Here they are. We're going to tell you what they are, and you have to chase them. We're a culture that never sleeps. And the culture is designed to cater to whatever desire we might have. And the fact is, in a beautiful place like this, uh, a wonderful place like this, whether it be the farmer's markets or something deeper or more ambitious, uh, this place is the kind of place that can usually meet most of your desires on some level, right? There's so much possibility and opportunity here that no matter what you do, there's still an invitation to keep chasing more hungers, bigger hungers, deeper hungers, and to see your desires fulfilled no matter what. So back to Joy Chestnut and the hot dog contest for a second. I want to suggest to you that what happens with those contestants and those hot dogs or whatever kind of food, that this is oftentimes a picture Of how all of us often go about dealing with our deepest, deepest desires and our hungers. Here's what I mean. If you've watched any clips of those hot dog eating contests, you realize that nobody's actually enjoying the food. Right? Nobody's enjoying the food. They are just something about their, you know, their, their hunger, if you will, for the hot dogs is totally out of whack. It's distorted. And that's, that's the second point I want us to see is not only that we have these deep, infinite desires, it's that in this world, the way that we are now, the way that things have come to be, each one of us have deep desires, but our desires are distorted. OK, we may look like somebody just feasting, but never satisfied. Our desires are distorted in this world. And I think there's two ways are really flip, flip sides of the same coin, if you will. But two ways that our desires are distorted. The first is what I'm going to call devouring desires, that picture, especially of the hot dog eating contests. It's not the picture of someone enjoying food as a gift, is it? They're not enjoying it as a gift. They're not even enjoying it as nourishment for their body. they probably go afterwards and do things to get it out of their system, right? This is someone devouring whatever is before them without thinking or caring about the consequences. It's predators going after prey. And the fascinating thing is that the New Testament talks about uh, this community of Christians. Paul writes in in Galatia, this uh, city, he writes to them and says that your desires are such uh, and you don't ask, you don't have what you want because you're not asking God away for him for it. And your desires are such that you are starting to peck at one another. He actually uses this language. He says, if you bite, you're competing with one another. If you bite and devour one another, you better watch out that you don't end up consuming one another wholly. Completely. See, when you and I are faced with our cravings, our deepest desires, this is often what we do. We just keep stuffing our faces. We devour so that we think we can be satisfied. Just some examples. If your deepest longing is just to be accepted, you'll do anything to fit in. Oh, man, you will read up on the fashion mags. You will just have to know exactly. You can't even go to the beach without making sure you have the right thing on because someone might see you. right. If your deepest desire is success at work, you will do whatever it takes to get to the top, no matter who gets in the way. If your deepest desire is to find love and intimacy, you will stop at nothing until you can find the person who will deliver that for you. Right? At the end of the day, if it's comfort that you want, you'll do whatever it takes to find it. See, we all have hunger and we all make our major decisions about life based on our deepest desires. You know this. And you also know this devouring aspect because you know that there's a part of your life in which you've been devoured by other people trying to go after their desires, right? I'll let you fill in the blank. You have been bitten, hurt, consumed by someone else chasing after their desires. And if you're honest, you've devoured others, too, in your quest to satisfy yourself. So I think the flip side of this coin is not only that we have this devouring kind of reaction with our desires, or this action. We can also do this flip side of the same coin, which is just to deny our desires. See, what happens when you get bit enough or you get tired of biting others is then you just you do the opposite. It's not so much a gluttonous feast, not the Epicurean route. Instead, it's the ascetic route. The self-denial. Use some trite examples admittedly trite, you might say, I've seen how alcohol and a desire for it can just destroy people. So I will never take a sip ever. I'll deny myself, deny desire for whatever alcohol might bring, relaxation, joy. You say, see, I've seen what people do with money. I've seen how it's crushed people and done all this stuff. And so I'll just I'll be uh, really humble and frugal and I won't be like all those uh, rich people that act like this. I'll just I won't let money be my identity. I won't even pay any attention to it. It could be intimacy. This is a really easy one for all of us, you know. You've been broken, ashamed, hurt when you finally open up to someone and you are just closed off now. You will not let someone in. Self-denial. Ascetic. So these are really, I think, the two options that we, we fall into with our desires and we do them both, you know, in various ways. You can feed all your hungers and if you do that, you become fat, bloated, sick, oppressive, and libertine. Right? Or you can deny all your hungers and you become parched, malnourished, legalistic, and quite frankly, really grumpy, right? So what are we to do? Chasing after every desire is obviously not the solution. We could swallow the whole world and still be hungry for more. You'll never succeed enough. You'll never make someone love you enough. You'll never check enough items off the to-do list to stop your anxiety. You'll never be satisfied with what you see in the mirror. A new job won't provide satiation for you. Marriage won't. Kids won't. A new house won't. You can never devour enough. You'll never satisfy that black hole in you that is continually asking for more. Having everything isn't enough. But neither is the answer to ignore, to deny, or simply to suppress our desires. This is a common sort of uh, caricature of the Christian faith. But there is actually no uh, evidence of this way of being in the world in the scriptures whatsoever. Because you can never cover up that black hole. You can never sort of uh, turn off the faucet of, of desire. Right? There's no way to do it. So here's what I want us to see for the rest of this morning. And again, we're going to explore this and unpack this. This is just the beginning for the next uh, for this week and the next two weeks. I want you to hear this: your desires, the fact just the fact of desire, the fact that you're a hungering being, that is a gift from God. Now, I, I just told you that it's distorted. We devour, we deny. And so you think, how can this be a gift? It's so much pain in my life. It's, it's, it's why I'm, I'm constantly unsettled and, uh, and dissatisfied. No, hear, hear me. Desire itself, pre-distortion, undistorted, the way that God made it to be, the way that God intends to recreate it, desire itself is a gift of God. And that desire is meant... To lead you back, not only to the gifts that he intends to give you to satisfy those desires, but through the gift to the giver himself. Okay? I just want to look, I know this is, you know, sort of flying over the text here, but I just want to point out a few things. I want to point out in this text that this hunger that these people had, it was a real hunger. I mean that. Physical, not just metaphorical, like they were out in the wilderness. They didn't have a picnic basket. There were no bodegas or king colons around, right? There were no grocery stores. They're out there uh, at 5,000 men. And that's just the heads of households. So we, you know, many thousands and thousands of people very hungry and they need to eat. People are hungry. But, and this connection is important. It is about that hunger, real hunger, but it's also about so much more. In verse two, it says a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And you see later when they say they saw the sign that they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In other words, these people are hungering for healing. They're hungering for some sign of God being at work in their world. Verses three through four, you see even more that they're they're spiritually hungry. And, and just to understand this is it's important that they pointed out that it's on the Passover, because if you if you understand, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but if you understand the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, you know that uh, the Passover was the greatest act in the Old Testament, basically, for the people of God. This was the time in which God finally delivered them from slavery, set them free, said, I'll be your God, uh, moved them through death. They were passed over by the angel of death and rescued and taken out. and He led them through the wilderness The Red Sea and then the wilderness into a promised land that they were walking towards. It's really important here that all of these good Jewish and Gentile people followed Jesus during Passover when they should have been Jerusalem. They following him into the wilderness. That shows you that they're spiritually hungry. They're not getting it at the temple where they think they are supposed to get it. They're not meeting God there. They're not finding the things that they're supposed to find in the Passover. And they have this spiritual hunger that they might find it in this potential prophet, this potential Messiah, this guy that seems like God's at work. And so they're spiritually hungry and they follow him into this new Passover. As I said, they're physically hungry. It says there's over 5,000 men. And what you need to know about the denarii is that one year's uh, wage was not enough. That's what that denarii is. It's enough one person's year-long wage it wasn't enough to feed everybody even one bite. In verse ten, we see that Jesus. Where is he? Sorry, where is verse ten here? Jesus said, "Have the people sit down." And there was much grass in that place, so they sat down. This is this is a beautiful allusion in the Gospel of John to Jesus being a shepherd. They've come through wilderness, they're hungry, and all of a sudden they're in a grassy place. And he looks out upon his flock and he has them sit down. He is a shepherd looking out over his flock. And then we see that he chooses to feed them. He chooses to feed them. Their physical hunger. Their presented desires. Their felt needs. The ones that they were saying were hungry. He feeds their desires with actual food. Okay? And what I want to say here is that Jesus alone is claiming in this passage that he can feed his people, that he longs to feed his people, that he desires to feed his people, and the reason he can feed them is precisely because he is the only one who is not trying to feed himself on others. At that moment, he's the only one not thinking about himself and how he can get his desires met and how infinitely needy he is and what, how the world could fill it. No, at that point, he's thinking about God and his people. And because he's the only one who fully cares about their desires, he can actually feed people. Because he's not hungry, hungry himself in the same way. And so at this point, all I want to tell you as another sort of application is this. Actually, really, the first application. Bring your hungers to God. It's really simple. Tell him, I need lunch today. I need daily bread in the literal way. I can't pay my bills. I don't have enough. I'm hungry. Will you help me with that? Tell him all of your hungers. Say, I can't stop wanting intimacy with this person? I know I shouldn't, but I can't stop, so I'm just going to tell you about it. What do I do with that? Why am I so infinitely needy for intimacy? Why can't I stop daydreaming about everyone finally recognizing all my gifts and the success that comes with that and the accolades because I just want to be recognized for these things. These are my desires and I'm just going to tell you about them. That's what these people did. They came to him and they said, we're hungry. What are you going to do about it? help right and as you do that and this is where we're going to spend most of our time next week so we're just going to hint at it for a second as you do that presenting your actual specific individual desires as you understand them to god specifically understand what saint augustine a great pastor in church history said he said our hearts are restless Oh, God, until they rest in you. Alexander Schmemann, who was a priest in uh, upstate New York, put it this way. He said, behind all of our hunger, behind underneath, however you want to look at it, behind all of our hunger, the specific hunger, the specific desire you have is a hunger for God. It's a hunger for God. The simple fact of this passage is that Jesus does not say, buck up, ignore your stomach, meditate on your spiritual hunger. No, that's not what he does. He lovingly feeds them. But even as he provides for their physical needs, so he cares about our desires, he cares about our hungers, he cares about our needs, he feeds us. But he also, while lovingly providing for our physical needs, is insistent to these people that they let their hungers point them to something deeper, to yearnings that they're not even aware of. And which keep them so restlessly dissatisfied, the hunger for God Himself. I guess what I'm trying to say is that God built a parable into your tummy. Seriously, into your heart. And uh, this is just an aside, but I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm, I want to base this on the, the argument on the text. But just as an aside, if you are someone that studies this stuff, I'm probably going to get it all butchered all up. But I was just reading this last week. This chapter about how uh, the up up and coming new sort of uh, science of brain science is working. We've really only been able to study the brain in any detail, since the 80s, okay? And one of the things they're figuring out, again, I'll just keep this brief, but just so you know, it's fascinating that what makes you feel pleasure, as they understand it, is this neurochemical uh, compound called dopamine, right? It's like the pleasure uh, thing. And the interesting thing about the way dopamine works, that they've, as far as the scientists understand it, it's just going to, whether or not I'm getting all this exactly right, it confirms what we're saying here. That dopamine uh, shows up most when you think you might get something soon, and you are longing for it, and then when, like so, let's just say for example, a cheeseburger. I happen to I'm doing a lot of like summer dieting lately, so I'm like longing for cheeseburgers all the time. My dopamine will work the most, not just like if I was walking around and someone handed me a cheeseburger, like whoa, surprise, take a bite. I get a little bit, right? When I get the most is whenever. I, my wife says, it's okay, we can splurge And I'm like, great, you know? And then we are driving and I'm getting up close and all of a sudden I have floods of dopamine coming. That's that no this is the science. It happens when you're expecting something and you're close to it. Guess what happens as soon as you take a bite? It goes way down. You get a little bit, just a tiny bit. And you know what the, the, the scientists scientists who figured this out, do you know what he, the man who discovered it called it? The seeker principle. I just want to say, it seems to me that God has literally designed us in a way we were meant to seek. We are the happiest when we are seeking for something that will satisfy us. And because our desires are infinite, we need some, somebody who is infinite to satisfy us. Okay? So bring your desires to God and ask him To show you how those desires are actually for something more than what you think they're about. They're for an infinite God who alone can fill that chasm in your heart. And I want to just do this for the last couple minutes. Some of you may not understand what I'm talking about at all (laughs) in terms of what it would mean to bring your desires to God and to, to see something beyond your desire, say, for a relationship or to see beyond that to something more infinite. It may be hard for you to understand how that works. And I want to say that's because our hearts are complex. They're as infinite and mysterious as the cosmos itself. And if you are a Christian, you especially know how tricky this thing I'm telling you about is to do. I mean, the people in this passage, think about it. They knew how difficult it was. Here at the end, they finally have a taste of God. They got a taste of their real you know, bread. And then through that, they got a taste of God, a sign. And what do they do immediately? It says Jesus perceived that they were just about to come and take him by force and make him be king. Oh, I got a taste of God. Oh, cool. Let's grab him and make him do stuff for us. Right. Make him king. And so he ran away because it wasn't time. It's not the way he was going about it. And this is the trick. If you're a Christian, you've lived life for a while and you realize that God is behind your desires. The the trouble is we still are such that we're so hungry even for God that we try to make him king our way. Let me be specific. God may or may not give you a husband. He may not give you a house. He may not give you a child. He may not give you a prolific and lucrative career. He may not change you the way you want to be changed. He may not remove those desires you wish you didn't have. You cannot force him to be your kind of king. What he does promise is that he will lovingly provide for your needs. That he gave you your desire, this capacity to desire. And that he loves to feed you. Sometimes he will make sure that you can eat your fill here in this world. That's what it says. They had enough that they were just filled up physically. Sometimes it's just going to feel like a feast here in this world. But also he will nudge you toward your deepest desire. He won't let you be satisfied with just these nibbles here and there of the world. Because he's nudging you towards himself. That's why Jesus himself said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst For righteousness. That is to say for God's faithfulness to us. For God himself. Why? Because they will be filled. It's helpful to think about these people in this story. They would have to learn this. They would grow hungry again. They would watch as this king... Not acting the king the way they want him to would actually go by himself to a cross and be mocked and scorned by all the religious and political powers of the day. And guess what they would have to do? Be confused and wait. Right. And, you know, there were some in this crowd who long after Jesus had died and risen, long after they went back to their lives and faced more longings and hungers of the everyday sort, just like us. You know, they would have to say to themselves, he fed us once. And he promised to do it again. We're going to have to wait. If you're a Christian, you know this that Jesus' greatest desire, his greatest hunger, is for you to be united to you. You are his, so let your longings drive you not to isolation. Not to devour, not to deny, but let them drive you to Jesus. Let them satisfy you in little moments. And let them also be a foretaste for the day when you will be filled. If you believe that Jesus' greatest hunger is for you, not to possess you, not to devour you, not to deny you, but just to be with you and to feed you, I promise you that you can more and more have real tastes, satisfying tastes of that longing of your deepest desire, which is for God here in this world. But you can also have your appetite wet for that eternal feast of love and experience with God, because there is enough of God. There is enough of him for you. There is enough of him for others. There is enough of him For the whole world. That's why blessed are the hungry. For they will be filled. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And I pray that as we approach this table even, that you would help all of us to long fully for you. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.